in real life. That's why I, I double-check these things on Wikipedia. <laughs> Seriously, though, this is the way it works, at least in the U.S. What this means is that if, if the, the English government were to, to name a new ambassador, that ambassador would, would travel from England to the U.S., they'd go to Washington, they'd go to the White House, they, they'd walk into the president's office, not, not uninvited, they'd be invited, and he or she would present their credentials to the president, and the president would have to accept them before they would officially become England's ambassador to the U.S. And the president would accept them. He may not have any relationship at all with that person. He may not have any idea who he is or she is, but because of his relationship to the English government, he's going to approve them. He's going to approve that they have sent this person to be the representative for their government to ours. And then once that person is approved, once that person is an ambassador of, of say, England to the U.S., how that person is treated, for example, if the president treats them well, he's treating the English government well. If he treats that person poorly, he's treating the English government poorly. As long as that person serves as an ambassador of that nation, how anyone treats them, it's just like they're treating their government that way. And we're going to see a principle like this in our passage tonight. And that, that really shouldn't surprise us because we know in the New Testament, Christians, followers of Christ, are actually called ambassadors of Christ. We're called that. But specifically in our passage... We're going to see this, this principle that Jesus teaches to his disciples, that he teaches his disciples that, that how they are treated is how he's treated. If they're treated poorly, he's being treated poorly. If they're treated well, he's being treated well. We're going to see this played out in our passage. So if you haven't, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, there's some at the end of the rows. And you'll find tonight's passage in those Bibles on page 815. It's Matthew chapter 10. We're going to be covering the last three verses of the chapter in verses 40 through 42. Start reading in Matthew 10, 40. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of the little ones, gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. We're going to see that the main point of this passage, the main point of this passage is that a positive response to a disciple of Christ is a positive response to Christ. Let me say that again. A positive response to a disciple of Christ is the same thing as a positive response to Christ. Now before we get into these, these three verses... 
that we're studying tonight, let's, let's quickly think about this, this speech that Jesus is giving us as a whole. These, these last three verses of chapter 10 in the speech he is where Jesus kind of wraps it up and finishes. And he moves on to something else after this. And in order to understand the ending of the speech, we really need to understand kind of what he's been saying all along, where, where he's been going with this. So what happened is way back at the beginning of the speech, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him. He, he set them apart, and he gave them a mission. He, he sent them out with a task. He told them to, to go out. They were going to go out, and they were going to say what he said, and they were going to do what he did. They were going to minister just like he ministered, and his message was going to be their message. So they go out, they proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand, and then they do all the things that they've seen him do. They, they cast out demons, they, they heal people, uh, they do the work that they've seen Christ doing. And then the discussion turns. He's told them what they're going to say, what they're going to do, and then he starts talking about how people are going to respond to it. He starts talking about how the disciples are going to be rejected for the message that they have. They're going to be rejected for the mission that they're on. He did this. He started talking to the disciples about the possibility of rejection all the way back in verse 13. And he kept talking about rejection all the way to the, the last verse we covered last week, verse 39. And if you do the math, and I have, I've done the math, that's three quarters of the speech he's talking about rejection. 75% of the words that he says to his disciples as he's sending them out on this mission are about the fact that people are going to reject them. And here's a tip. When you study the Bible on your own, and you should be studying the Bible on your own, when you do this, pay attention to how often specific authors talk about specific things. The more often they talk about something, that's, that's, that's how much more important it is to them than other things. They talk about things more because they want to emphasize things more. They want you to learn more about it. That's why they talk about it more. So when we see something like this in Matthew 10, we see that Jesus has talked about rejection for, for 75% of the speech that he gives to his disciples before he sends them out on mission. We need to ask, why does he talk about rejection so much? Is it because that's all we're going to face? Is it because that's all his disciples are going to face? Is that because that's what we should just expect as Christians, as followers of Christ, is we're going to go out and people are just going to reject his message? Well, of course not, right? The, the very fact that, that I'm here tonight and, and you guys are here tonight means that at least some people respond positively to his message. But we know that some people don't. And I think Jesus talks about rejection so much in this speech is because he knows that it's a lot harder for us to face rejection than it is for us to face acceptance. Right? It's, it's, it's easy for us when people like us. It's harder when they don't. But the good news is that in tonight's passage, Jesus talks about acceptance. He talks about the fact that, that not everyone rejects his message. Even though he's been talking about it this whole time, he ends the speech 
with an encouraging note. He ends the speech talking about those people that are going to respond positively to his message. And that's what we're going to see tonight. We're going to see this, this positive response to his disciples as they go out with the mission that he's given them. Let's look at verse 40. He says, Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. What Jesus is doing here is he's just kind of throwing out a a straightforward principle. It's a principle he's going to kind of unpack with, with these other two verses. He says, Whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. We could say this a different way. The Father, right, sent Jesus into the world. Jesus is sending his disciples out into the world. He's saying if, if they receive you, they receive me. They receive me, they receive the one who sent me. And this is where the main point of the passage comes from. This is, this is what Jesus is, is trying to communicate. This is the thing that he wants to bring across to us in our passage tonight. That those who receive the disciples receive Christ. When you receive the disciples, it's the same thing as receiving Christ. But in order to understand what that means, we need to ask two questions. We need to ask, uh, what does it mean to receive? And then we need to ask, who are the disciples? Who are these, these disciples that he's talking about? So let's look at the first question. What does he mean by receive? Well, right off the bat, we can rule out what what he doesn't mean. He doesn't mean receive Christ in the the terms of of salvation. You know, sometimes people will say, oh, I I received Christ when I was 12. Or come forward to some, you know, soft, nice music and and receive Christ. They they talk about receiving Christ and, and salvation being the same thing. That's not what Jesus is talking about. We know that because uh, it doesn't really make sense to to trust in Christ alone for salvation by receiving Peter or Matthew or or Thaddeus. Right? That that, that just doesn't work. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about here when he talks about about receiving his disciples is he's talking about giving them a, a positive reception welcoming them, opening uh, maybe their, their homes, their lives to these people, being glad that they're there. He talked about some of these things back at the beginning of his speech. He talked about the fact that people would provide the disciples with food. People would provide the disciples with the place to stay. Basically, what, what he's talking about is any kind of positive response to the disciples when they come out on their mission. Could mean... Uh, Serving them, loving them, ministering to them, uh, meeting their their financial or material needs, uh, building them up, doing something positive to the disciples is what Jesus is talking about. Any loving act towards them for their good. That's what it means to receive them. Do something positive in response to them. That's what he's talking about. What about the second question? Who are the disciples? The first answer is, is the easy one. It's the 12 guys 
he's, he's talking to, his, his immediate audience, the, the 12 disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, uh, the other Simon, Thaddeus, um, the other James, and Judas. Those 12 guys. But I think that this verse has to apply beyond just those 12. Jesus talks about the way people respond to his disciples. He's not just talking about those 12 guys. He's talking about those people who who follow him. So I think what we kind of need to do is we need to get an understanding of of disciple within the context of, of Matthew chapter 10 as he's sending out people on mission. What does it mean to follow Christ on mission? I think that we can say this. Based on, the, on, on what Jesus tells them to do, being a disciple in Matthew 10 means following Christ by declaring His message and carrying out His mission. Being a disciple means following Jesus by declaring His message and carrying out His mission. Now certainly, you know, there, there's more involved in being a disciple than just that. But right here, what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 10, and this, this receiving His disciple means receiving Him, that's what He's talking about. When someone is following Christ by declaring His message and carrying out His mission, that's a disciple. So let's, let's take those two answers and put them together to try to get a better picture of the verse as a whole. What Jesus is saying is that when people respond positively to someone who's declaring his message and carrying out his mission, they're responding positively to Christ himself. When someone is in the process of carrying out Christ's mission and declaring his message and someone, anyone, responds positively to them, it's just like they're doing it to Christ. We see the same principle in Scripture in a negative way later on. In Acts chapter 9, Paul, or Saul, who we know as Paul, is on the road to Damascus. And he's on the road to Damascus because he's going there to do exactly what he's been doing in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, Luke tells us he's been going into house after house after house, and he's been dragging out men, he's been dragging out women, and he's been carting them off to prison because of their relationship to Christ. And he's going to Damascus to do the same thing there. But Jesus confronts him on the road to Damascus. He he stops him, and he says this. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? But Saul wasn't persecuting Jesus. Jesus had ascended into heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. Paul was persecuting Christians, men and women. That's who he was dragging off to prison. But what's happening there is the same thing we see in Matthew 10.40. How... Paul is treating Christ's followers as how he's treating Christ. And so when Jesus confronts him, he says, why are you persecuting me? Because since Paul was persecuting his followers, he was persecuting Jesus. 
according to these passage, passages, both Acts 9 and Matthew 10, what these say is that how we treat fellow disciples, whether we treat them well or whether we treat them bad, that's how Jesus feels we treat Him. And He drives this point home in verse 41 with a couple of illustrations. He says this, He says, the one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. What Jesus is doing here is he's he's appealing to more familiar expressions of this principle that that he's teaching. He's talking about it in terms they all understand. They all would know who Old Testament prophets are. They would have been familiar that if you do nice things for them, it's, it's pleasing to God. If you mistreat them, it's not pleasing to God. They were the messenger of God. And so if people did bad things to the prophets, it was like doing things to God. Same thing with the righteous people, the righteous men and women of the Old Testament. The Jews would have known that how they treated them was like how they treated God. And so... Jesus is just using these things as an illustration. I I did the same exact thing at the beginning of the sermon. I didn't talk about ambassadors just because I really like ambassadors. I did it because I appealed to something that we all know, we all have in common, that, that illustrates what Jesus is saying in the text. That's exactly what he's doing to the Jews. I show the same point. How you treat his disciples is how you treat Christ. In verse 42, Jesus kind of shifts his focus. He moves from from talking to the disciples to talking to the crowd. And in order to get this, we have to think about the context of the speech. And and context is just kind of a a fancy word that means when and where and and kind of how it, it happened. Matthew gives us the context for the speech at the end of Matthew chapter 9. Right? Jesus has, has gone through all the, vid- all the cities and villages in Galilee, and he's proclaimed that the kingdom of God's at hand, and he's uh, cleansed lepers, he's cast out demons, he's healed people, he's forgiven sins, he's even raised the dead. And as you can imagine, him doing that drew pretty big crowds. People wanted to come out and, and see what he was doing. And so after seeing crowd after crowd after crowd, Matthew tells us that Jesus had compassion on them. It says that Jesus had compassion on them because he saw that they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And in response to his compassion, Jesus told the disciples to pray to the Lord of the harvest, which is Jesus, to pray that he would send out workers into the field. And then right after that, we get to Matthew 10, where Jesus calls his 12 disciples, he sets them apart, and then he starts giving them all these instructions on how they're going to go out and they're going to carry out his mission. And so this whole time, probably in the midst of of the crowd, he's been talking to these these 12 guys about what they're going to go out and do. And then right here as he gets to the end, he, he stops talking to them and he starts talking to the crowd. You can see this by how he talks about the disciples. 
He says, whoever gives one of, of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. It wouldn't make sense if he was just talking to the disciples. Why would he talk to them about giving cold water to each other? He's talking to the crowds. He's telling them how they should respond to his disciples when they go out on mission. And what he's saying with this phrase, you know, it doesn't really make sense about, you know, the whole little ones and, and cold water. But what Jesus is saying is that even the, the smallest task, right, giving somebody a, a cup of water is like the least thing of common courtesy you can do for another person. What Jesus is saying is that even doing the, the smallest thing for the most insignificant disciple. When you do that, you're doing it to Christ. When you love them, you're loving Christ. When you serve them, you're serving Christ. When you give them a cold cup of water, you're giving Christ a cold cup of water. doesn't matter whether they're an important disciple or, or an unimportant disciple. doesn't matter who they are. And then he says, he will by no means lose his reward. And this, this phrase, by no means, it's kind of, kind of hoity-toity. You know, we don't, we don't really say by no means on a regular basis. But what the, the authors, the, the translators, are trying to bring across there is that, that Jesus is using here the, the most, uh, the, the strongest possible negative statement that he can. It's the most emphatic he can get. He's saying that, that it's, it's never, ever, 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 ever going to happen. He, he absolutely removes the possibility of them ever losing their reward. It can't happen. If it happens, Jesus is a liar. He doesn't give himself any wiggle room. But what's the reward? Right? What, what do we get? In order to figure that out, we've got to go back to verse 40. Where he says, whoever receives you, receives me. Whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. The reward is, is Jesus. The reward is that when we do something nice for a disciple, we're doing something nice for Christ. And that's never going to be taken away from us. He doesn't say exactly how Christ is going to reward us. That's because that's not important. It doesn't matter. The, 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 the reward isn't the motive for our love of another disciple. The motive for our love of another disciple is Jesus. Because we want to be loving to Him. So how can we apply this? This principle that how we treat a disciple is how we treat Jesus. How can we apply this passage to our lives? I think the first thing that 
you need to ask yourself is, are you uh, living up to the aspect of discipleship that's taught in this passage? Are you somebody whose, whose life is characterized as someone who, who follows Jesus by declaring his message and carrying out his mission? Think about who God is leading you to declare his message to this week. Think about the people in your life who need to hear what Jesus has to say to them. Who are the the broken, the the helpless, the the hurting people in your lives that that the Spirit is leading you to minister to, to serve, to love, to, to do something nice for? Who are the, the co-workers, family members? Maybe that, that guy at the Y or that person at school that, that Christ wants you to minister to this week. See, being a disciple in Matthew 10 is about following Jesus on mission. And we can't follow Christ in in some things and not follow Him in other things. We're either following Him or we're not. So what we all need to ask ourselves this week is, is how are we going to follow Him on mission this week? The second thing for you to ask yourself is how well do you love and serve other disciples of Christ? And I think the key thing here is that for Jesus, it's, it's simply uh, receiving another disciple. It's not receiving disciples that we agree with on everything. It's not receiving other church members. It's not receiving those people who are our friends and also happen to be Christians. It's not just the people we like. All disciples. No matter where they go to church, no matter whether or not they they follow Christ exactly like I follow Christ or you follow Christ, the call is to love His disciples. All of them. So this week, think about the people that it's difficult for you to love. Other disciples. For me, it's not very hard to come up with a list. What would it be like if, if we as a church were known as people who, who, who set aside our differences, which, which don't really matter at all compared to the fact that we love and serve the same God as someone else? What would it be like if we were that church? They don't care that we go to another church. They, they still help us. They still encourage us. They still pray for us. They're still nice to us. They don't care about that. They care about the fact that I love Jesus and they love Jesus. That's what matters. That's what should matter. And of course, this isn't just restricted to people that we disagree with. Sometimes it's, it's even difficult for us to be intentional about serving and ministering to those people that it's easy to love. Sometimes we forget to do it for each other. 
So think this week, who are, who are the fellow disciples of Christ that you can receive this week? You can minister to, you can pray for, you can encourage. Maybe God is calling you to support uh, some missionaries that you know. Maybe there's people that have needs that you know about, that you know you can meet. One really, really easy way to do this right now is the fact that there are a ton of sick people in Hannibal right now. Call them up. Find out if you can bring them a meal. Find out if you can run to the store and get some soup and some medicine. Take it to them. This week I was sick and, and Dinah was sick and Jen was just tired from taking care of us and being pregnant. And it was so encouraging that we had people call us and, and offer to help us and do things for us when we felt like dying. It's a really easy way to, to reach out to someone else. And so think this week. Who in your life can you love specifically because they're a disciple of Christ? The last question we need to ask ourselves is how do we respond when people respond positively to us? How do we respond when people respond positively to us? And at first, that may seem like an obvious answer. But it's hard to remember. This is where we, we need to, to get back to Matthew 5.16, where Jesus says, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We don't follow Christ for our glory. We follow Christ for His glory. We don't do these things that He calls us to do in His Word so that people look at us and they say, oh, that's, that's such a great person. They do all those things. They call those people when they're sick. They, they took them soup. We do these things for His glory, for His name, because we're His followers. The very name disciple means that there's nothing important about us. The only thing that's important about a disciple is the fact that they're connected to a teacher. The teacher's the one everybody cares about. The teacher's the one that's important. The disciple's just some guy following him around. It's not about who we are and what we've done. All that we do is we, we point and we say, look at what he's done. He's the important guy. And so when people are pleased with us or people like us or people are happy with us, we enjoy some kind of measure of success. We need to resist the temptation to pride. We need to resist the temptation to say, look at me, look at me. We need to remember that it's His life and it's His work that matters, not ours. What we do doesn't matter. It's not because we're special or we're great or we're skilled or, or, or we're anything. Our life is a result of the fact that He has given us grace and that's it. This is why, if you think about it, the vast majority of the Christian life is about reminding us of stuff. 
It's about reminding us of, of stuff that we already know about what He's already done. Prayer reminds us who God is and who we are. Fasting reminds us that, that we're entirely and completely dependent on Him. Giving reminds us that, that God has given us everything that we have. He meets all of our needs. He provides for us. Worship through music. Reading, studying, meditating on the Word. Remind us of, of who God is and what He's done. The Lord's Supper. Baptism. Even marriage. Remind us of the Gospel. Of what Christ has done for us. The goal of the Christian life isn't, isn't about you know, gaining some higher state of knowledge or some higher state of being. That's other religions. It's not about doing a bunch of stuff so that we can earn favor with God. That's other religions. Our goal is to simply remember who God is and what He's done for us. And then we, we try to live out the implications of that on a daily basis. When people respond positively to us, we need to remember that it's, it's because of Him. It's, it's not because of us. He's the one who was sent into the world. He was the one who lived the perfect life. He was the one who died. He was the one who rose again on the third day. He conquered sin and death. He did all those things. We're accepted because He's accepted. We're, we're loved by the Father because He's loved by the Father. And so when people look at us favorably, we say, look at Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You sent Jesus into the world. God, that even we were, even though we were Your enemies, God, we rebelled against Your Word, we, we chose our own way, we fought for ourselves. God, You are rich in mercy. You're rich in love. You're rich in grace. And You sent Him anyway. And you saved us from ourself, and you saved us from our sin, and you saved us from death. God, we thank you that you have given us fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and ask that you would help us to love them well. The ones that are here and the ones that aren't here the ones that go to our church and the ones that don't go to our church, the ones we like and the ones that we don't. God, that the grace that we have in Christ, that what He's done for us would allow us to set aside our own selfishness and love others. God, we ask that You would help us to follow Your Son on mission that Your Spirit would give us a passion to talk to other people about Christ. 
that your spirit would give us a passion to minister to those around us, no matter how inconvenient it is to us. God, we ask that your word would change us, would make us less like ourselves and more like your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.